everyone. Second Bible reading today is taken from Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 to 23, and I've got that on page 1021. Uh, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he who will, who, and he who will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this, people's hearts have become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed along the path. The one who receives the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who receives the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Thank you, Jono. Now, I hope you've been encouraged tonight by what you've heard from Syl. Um, we had her at youth group on Friday night. Extremely encouraging and challenging just to see her work. She was an engineer, or still works as sort of an engineer. I, I like engineers. I used to be one myself. She likes bacon. That's good too. Uh, but more than that, well, on Friday night we heard from Syl. She went to Paris for a year, got sick of it after one week. But now she's thinking of going back to Benin. She says something about her heart for the gospel. So please do chat with her afterwards. Now, friends, why don't you take a quick moment, turn around, welcome each other, grab an outline if you don't have one. And also, if you want a full transcript of the sermon, that's available as well. And I'll call you back shortly. Get you back to your seats and we'll have a look at this passage. Do keep your Bibles open, but let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word which is powerful and changes lives. And so we pray that that might happen tonight as we hear 
of the parables of Jesus and his teachings to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, friends, if you had the chance to unravel, to solve some mystery, some secret, what would it be? What would you choose? You were able to solve, decipher some code, what would you do? Well, perhaps it might be this. Seen this before? Apparently only the smart can do it. I used to be able to do this, but not anymore. Do you know how fast the world record in solving this is? You, you might be right, but the, from my little search, 5.55 seconds, a guy in the Netherlands. 5.55 seconds. Anyway, perhaps you'd like to solve that. But if you had the chance to solve some mystery, perhaps it might be something else. It might be this thing. Have you seen this? This is a little sculpture out of the CIA headquarters in Langley, in Virginia. There are four sections of code there and people around the world have been trying to decode this, decipher these codes. Now, apparently, only the first three of the sections have been cracked. The fourth, well, not even the brilliant minds of the CIA were able to get to the bottom of it. Now, just imagine if you were able to solve that fourth one. Imagine the fame that will come to you. Or perhaps if you want to solve something, it might be this. Anyone seen this before? It's called the Bill Papers or the Bill Ciphers. Now, more than a century ago, this small pamphlet was published titled the Bill Papers. It contained three cipher texts. Now, if you can solve the text in this little pamphlet, they're, they're like a treasure map. They're like the X on the treasure map and it will direct you to buried treasure worth about $40 million in gold and silver and jewels. Now, two out of the three ciphers remain undeciphered. Now, just, just imagine you were the one to get those two, to find the treasure. Well, there are lots of mysteries and secrets around the world, aren't there? Imagine you were able to solve some of these. Now, there are many that have kept people baffled for so long. But you see, as fascinating as those ones are, as fascinating as those secrets and mysteries are, as wonderful as they are to solve them, there are mysteries that are far more significant, aren't there? There are secrets far more important because there are secrets and mysteries about you, about your future, about all of us, and secrets and mysteries that we want to discover. You see, there are secrets and mysteries about the kingdom of God that is available for us to discover. Secrets of heaven, secrets of life and death, heaven and hell. These are the things we want to solve, don't we? These are the things we want to decipher. But have you ever imagined or wondered how can we, mere human beings, you know, one in seven billion people around this world, how can we, mere humans, on this rock, on this earth, how can we come to understand the things of God? How can we come to understand the things of the kingdom of God? How can we, me human beings, come to discover things that are beyond us, things that are way above us? Now, if you think about this, it will be impossible. How can we discover the secrets, the mysteries of the kingdom of God? Well, it's wonderful, isn't it? It's wonderful if we can. And there's the possibility. And that's what Jesus speaks about today. You see, what Jesus reveals to us in our passage today are the secrets of the kingdom of God, the secrets of the king, the mysteries of the king. And so let's have a look, Matthew chapter 13. Now we're working through Matthew chapter 11 to 13 and chapter 13 
are a series of parables and this will take us to the end of the series over the next couple of weeks. And so chapter 13, Jesus speaks in parables. Now parables are like illustrations or analogies. They, they use normal, everyday occurrences, experiences, but yet concealed within it are some deeper spiritual message about the kingdom of God. And so parables are a bit like just seeing that CIA sculpture. You see only code. They're the stories. But then if you're able to decipher, decode it, you work out the spiritual message, the message about the kingdom of God. And so today we're looking at the first of these parables. And we have a look at this. The scene was the people were gathered along the shore. Jesus was sitting in the boat. And he begins to tell them this parable. Have a look at verse 3. A farmer went out to sow his seed. Now as we read this, the people there on the shore listening, Jesus was in the boat. You have to keep in mind that those on the shore listening, many of them were perhaps farmers. So keep in mind what they would be thinking when they were listening to this. And so in this parable we find that the seeds fall on four different grounds. The first, verse 4, as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Makes sense, doesn't it? Throw seed on the path, then the birds come and eat it. It can't penetrate the ground, it can't grow, it can't germinate. The second, verse 5, some seed, some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Again, it makes sense. Falls on shallow soil, it'll grow quickly. But because it's got no, uh, no root, roots can't grow and establish itself, it can't search for nutrients, then it easily dies. And the third, verse 7, other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Again, it makes sense. You, you sow seed among thorns, you'll stunt the growth. The, the, the weeds will choke the plant. And finally, the fourth, it makes perfect sense. Verse 8, still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. Again, no surprises. Quite a straightforward story. You, you, you sow seed in good soil, it will grow, it will produce a crop. And, and I spoke to one of our elders, uh, Stephen Ma, who has experience with wheat farming. He says quite, uh, uh, quite true, the yields here, 30, 60, 100 times. That's what we would get from ye- uh, wheat yields. But anyway, hearing that parable, what are we to make of it? It's just a story. Imagine what those there sitting, standing along the shore, what they would be thinking, and many of them would have been farmers. Nothing special at all. It's just a simple story. Jesus is just giving a farming lesson. And what's the lesson? Well, if you sow seeds, sow in the soil. Don't sow it elsewhere. Or they're, they're probably thinking, this actually doesn't make sense, this lesson. You know, who, who doesn't know that? Of course you sow only in good soil. You wouldn't waste your seeds in any other place. But you see, the, the parables work a bit like what we saw at the beginning. The CIA sculpture. That's the story. That's the face value. That's all you see. But there's more. There's more. There's something deeper. There's something that needs to be deciphered. And when you do decipher it, you find out the secret of the kingdom of God. And so at that point, those along the shore, many of them probably took off. They said, this story is silly. Who doesn't know this lesson? We're farmers. What do you know, Jesus, about farming? But yet the disciples realised that there must be more. And so what did the disciples do? Well, look at verse 10. They asked... Why do you speak to the people in parables? You see, the, the, the disciples, they, they recognise that they're looking at just the sculpture. 
They're seeing the code, but they know that something must be deciphered here. And so what does Jesus do? Well, what Jesus goes on to say is quite radical. Jesus goes on to say that the purpose of the parables was to conceal. The purpose was to hide the secret of the kingdom of God. Its purpose was to hide it, to conceal it. It was not for everyone. The parables, the understanding of the parables was not for everyone. This is what Jesus goes on to say, verse 11. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Isn't that interesting? It's not meant to be for everyone to understand, to understand, to work out. You see, Jesus is saying to his disciples, you're on the inner circle now. You get to see this, you get to understand this, you get to see the things of the kingdom of God. But those on the outside, they remain in the darkness. And so if it's not for everyone, who were they for? Well, Jesus answers that as well. Verse 12, whoever has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Now, what did Jesus mean by that? We see those who wanted more, those who wanted to discover the secret, those who want to listen in more, well, it will be illuminated for them. But those who didn't want anything to do with the secret, those who walked off and thought, this is a silly story, this Jesus knows nothing about farming, well, they'll get nothing. Those who oppose Jesus, like the Pharisees, as we've been seeing, they will get nothing. And they will see less and less and remain in the darkness. And so the secret of the kingdom of God remains hidden, remains concealed for them. You want more? Well, you'll get it. You don't want anything? Well, whatever you have will even be taken away. And now we must ask, why? Why would Jesus do that? Why would the secret of the kingdom of God be concealed? Why would that be Jesus' intention? Why doesn't he just make it plain? Just explain it as it's meant to be. Why conceal it? Why hide it? Why speak so cryptically? I'm sure that you're asking that question. Well, Jesus answers that question anyway, verse 13. He says, This is why I speak to them in parables. Those seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. You see the reason there? The reason why Jesus speaks in parables is for the very reason of concealing it, of hiding the secret. Isn't that interesting? You see, what Jesus was doing here was he was aligning himself with the ministry of the prophet Isaiah. In the days of Isaiah, when he was going around, proclaiming the word of God, sharing of God and his purposes and promises, the people were, in a sense, prevented from seeing and understanding and perceiving. And what that showed was, when you heard what Isaiah was saying and you did not understand, it was actually an act of God's judgment on them. You hear it, but you don't understand. Well, that's an act of God's judgment on them. And so Jesus here aligns himself with the ministry of Isaiah. And so he quotes here from Isaiah, verse 14. He says, In them, those on the outside, those in the darkness, in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You'll be ever hearing, but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. 
You see, by speaking in parables, that the people there listening appear to hear and see. They hear of the story of this farmer sowing seeds. It seems quite straightforward to them, but they're not really seeing. They're not really understanding. They're not really perceiving. And so, what do they do? Well, they remain blank. They remain in the darkness. And that was an act of God's judgment on them. So during the time of Jesus, just like in the time of Isaiah, as Jesus was speaking and they're not understanding, things were just bouncing off, that's an act of God's judgment on them, just like in Isaiah's time. And so they'll remain in the dark. But we have to ask, why again? I mean, how does this make us feel, that Jesus will speak intentionally concealing the secret? Why? What are we to make of it? Well, you see, we must understand that that was to serve a purpose at that point in the ministry of Jesus. You see, in their hardness of heart, in the blindness of the people then, in the blindness of the Pharisees, in the callous heart of the Pharisees, what did those people go on to do? They're blinded from the purposes of God. They're blinded from the secrets of the kingdom. What did they go on to do? Well, they went on to abuse Jesus, to arrest him, to mock him, to, to whip him, to kill him. And why did God allow that? Why was God's intention for them to experience judgment at that point, to not understand, to be in the dark, so that Jesus would be killed? Well, you know the reason why. Jesus was killed so that they could eventually be saved. Judgment now, salvation in the future. They're judged now in not being able to see so that they would go on killing the Lord, so that salvation would be made available in the future. But you see, at this point in the story, not everyone was left in the dark. Though the secret of the kingdom of God was concealed, it was actually revealed to some of them in this story. Who remained here? Well, the disciples, they wanted more. They wanted to discover more. And that was the promise of Jesus. You want more, you get more. They did not dismiss Jesus. And so what did they do? Well, they got to hear and see and understand something that even the prophets could not and did not, even though they wanted it. Now, one prophet, for example, was the prophet Daniel. He had many visions and signs. He wanted to understand the meaning of those signs, but it was told to him that your vision concerned the end and it was not yet the time for understanding. Not for Daniel, not yet. But now in the coming of the king, in the coming of Jesus Christ, as he was teaching, now was the time for understanding. And so Jesus was saying to his disciples, you know what, you guys are more privileged, more honoured than the prophets. And so verse 17, Jesus says, But blessed are your eyes because they see. And your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. And so, just as there's a concealing of the secret of God, there's also a revealing. And just as there's a a, a darkening of the secrets of God, there's also an illuminating. And so that's what Jesus goes on to do, this next bit in the story. He goes on to reveal the secret to those on the inner circle. He reveals the secret of the parable. You see, at this stage, to everyone, even the disciples at this stage, all they're seeing is a bit like that CIA structure, that that sculpture. It's all code. It's just a story, just a simple story. But now Jesus goes to decipher it for them, to decode it for them. 
You see, for them, they get to hear in on what the secrets of the kingdom of God is. They get to listen in on the secrets of the king. The knowledge of the secret of the kingdom of God, Jesus says, has been given to you. Now, the reality is that as we listen in on this, as we read this story, as we hear it, you know what's happening as well for us? We're included in the inner circle. We get to listen in on the secret of the king as well. And so when Jesus says to the disciples, the secret of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, it actually has been given to you as well. You today, St. Stephen's, you get to listen in on the secret of the king. And so when we read this next bit, we need to see ourselves in it too. And so what's the secret to unlocking this parable? Well, it's not a brilliant mind what you need to solve a Rubik's Cube. It's not a brilliant mind like what you need to decipher the CIA sculpture. The secret to unlocking the secret are ears to hear and hearts that will receive. As simple as that. The secret, not a great mind, just ears to hear and a heart ready to receive. And so that's what Jesus goes on to say. Verse 18. If you want it, if you want a secret, well, listen up. Listen in, verse 18. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. Remember, we're included now in an inner circle. Okay, the call is to us as well. Listen in. You want to know the secret? Well, listen in. You see, we don't have to think now, oh, I have to dig deeply, I have to muster up some brain power to decode this parable. All we have to do, just listen in. And so that's what we are to do. Now, Jesus reveals the secret. And he says pretty much the four grounds where the seed was sown, they represent the four different responses to Jesus. They represent the four different hearts towards Jesus. The seed represents the word of God. That is the gospel message, the message that the Bible has been proclaiming over the centuries, the message about Jesus, who he is, the king. The message that we are a great sinner and Jesus is a great saviour. The message that he is the source of hope and life and eternal life. That is the message, that is the seed. So how will you receive it? Well, there are four different responses, four different hearts. The first is the heart and callous heart. Verse 19. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, The evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This seed was sown along the path. Because of the hardness of the human heart, what happens when the word is sown, it bounces straight off. It bounces straight off. There's no way to penetrate into the heart. And not only that, we read here that Satan is involved as well. There's the spiritual dimension to life. Satan is out there to snatch away the word. And so when people hear of God's goodness, of God's love, of God's mercy, what God would do in his son for human beings, and people respond by saying, this Christian business is just rubbish. When people respond, this this Christian idea that, that Jesus Christ, the son of God, would die on a cross, that is stupid, that is foolish. When people respond, well, you know, your faith, your Christian faith, that's good for you, but keep it away from me. No, I don't need it. Or this Christian faith that you follow, well, good for you, but I've got no time for this religious stuff. You see, that's a hard heart where the 
word just does not penetrate. It just bounces straight off. And so it is reflecting the hardness of the human heart, what Jesus is telling us here, when people don't receive the gospel message. But what Jesus is also telling us here, as we've already looked at, is the activity of Satan. Satan is involved. He's out there doing all he can to take away the word from us, take away any chance there is for us to respond. And so that's the first one, the hard heart, the ignorant heart, the indifferent heart. Well, the second is the shallow heart, verses 20 and 21. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. And so even if people do respond, they respond to God's love, God's mercy, God's offer of joy, unless it takes deep root in the heart of the person, it won't be lasting at all. And so what's that like? Well, it's like one who says, you know what, I sign up for this Christianity. I thought by being a Christian, going to the Winners Chapel or something, it would mean perfect health for me. It would mean I'll be rich. It would mean I'll be filled with joy, that nothing will go wrong in my life, that life will be smooth sailing. It's not that. I don't feel it. I'm suffering. I'm being persecuted. I'm shamed because I bear the name of Christ. This is, this is not right. I'm throwing it in. That's what it's like. You see, suffering is the test of genuine faith, isn't it? If I'm willing to suffer for something, it means that I, I truly believe that is true, that I really do love it. And so, for example, if I say to you that I love my kids, and I do, three of them, and all of them equally, even though it doesn't seem that way, all of them equally. But if I say to you I love my kids, then it would mean that I will be willing to suffer for them. And so if we were to go to the park and there's a vicious dog or a bear, whatever you find around Melbourne, <laughs> coming to attack my kids, do I stand aside and watch the bear rip my kids to shreds? No, I get in the way. I suffer for them because I love them dearly. I would give my life for them. See, that's a test of genuine love. And so, it's the same with God. If I really do love God, then I'm willing to suffer for him. If I really believe the gospel message, the message of the seed, what Jesus has done for me, I'm willing to suffer for it. If my love for God, my faith in Christ, is tested when I suffer for him, that's how it's tested. And so, if I really believe it's true, if I really believe that Jesus is the only place I can find forgiveness for sins, the only place where I can find hope, the only place I can find rest and eternal life, then I'm sticking to it even if I suffer. And so when Monday comes, when I'm in class, when I'm in the lecture room, when I'm in the workplace, I'm going to be willing to take punches for Jesus, no matter what comes my way. I'm going to be willing to stand up for his name and his honour. I'm going to be willing to not participate in things that will make me acceptable to my peers, but dishonours God. You see, if I really believe it, I would suffer for it. If I really love God, then I would suffer for him. But if you think about our life now here in Melbourne, I have to say it's very comfortable. I mean, not too much suffering happens. Not too much persecution happens. I wonder 
how many of us would still profess to be Christian if Christianity becomes illegal in our nation? When Christians are restricted from from running businesses, owning homes, when Christians are, are restricted from taking public office, when Christians are restricted from education, when that happens, I wonder how many of us will still be going to church? How many of us will put our hands up and say, I'm still a Christian? You see, it happens in many countries. And I wonder how many of us will still profess to be a Christian if Christianity, being a Christian, poses great danger. Now, if it means that I'm exiled, if it means that I have to give up my wealth, my possessions, if it means you, you have to give up your iPhone or iMac or Toyota or your house in Box Hill or Surrey Hills, if it means those things, would we be willing to give it up? Will we be willing to suffer that much? to be persecuted that much and still call I am a Christian. What would you do? I mean, what would I do? The reality is that we might not experience that. If it happens, what will we do? But the reality is that this does happen. Even just last year, in Iraq, the Christians up north, they were caused to, to flee, to leave all they had, to go into refugee camp. Or... What I still profess to be a Christian if it means losing my head for my faith. I mean, that's persecution, isn't it? If I really do believe Jesus is the source of life, of eternal life, then I should. And that's what these Egyptian Christians, 21 of them, did earlier this year. They were all beheaded because they claimed Christ as their Lord. Will I renounce Christ when it comes to it? Or do I stick to him because I know this is true and I love him dearly? You see, the heart here, the second, second ground, is the shallow heart. Is my heart shallow? Is your, are your hearts shallow? The shallow heart is, it's got nothing genuine about it at all. That's the second one. Now, Jesus goes on to explain the third heart, the crowded heart. Verse 22. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. You see here, there is some growth, but this growth is stunted by what are we told here? The worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth. Notice how wealth is described here. It's described as deceitful. You see, wealth doesn't come to us and say, you know what? You should work as hard as you can. Give your whole life to your career, making money, making as much money as you can and you would have spent your life. You would have wasted your life because you've worked for things that won't last at all. You would have neglected your family. You would have turned your back on God. You would have fallen away. I mean, wealth doesn't speak to us in that way, does it? Wealth is deceitful. Instead, wealth goes a bit more like this. Hey, why don't you work as hard as you can? Work as hard as you can in your career. Give your life to earn as much money as you can and you will get success. I mean, that's the voice of wealth, isn't it? You'll get a real sense of achievement. That's the voice of wealth, isn't it? You'll get your identity there. You'll get happiness. You'll get satisfaction in life if you've got more money. I mean, that's the deceitfulness of wealth. 
but it's so deceitful. I mean, wealth will never give lasting success. It will never give lasting achievement or happiness or satisfaction. None of it will. I mean, just think of the simple experience of life. Have you recently purchased a new thing? A new phone, a new handbag, a new jacket, or probably not in this weather, um, a new car, a new house. It's very exciting at the beginning, but the excitement so quickly fades away. Because once you start to use it, it's second hand. No one wants it anymore. And we continue to pursue that. You see, it's deceitful. Wealth is deceitful. Now, one pastor that I've heard of recently, American pastor, great guy by the name of Francis Chan, to protect himself from the deceitfulness of wealth, what did he do? You, you do the opposite. He was extremely generous. Extremely generous. That's how he tackled the deceitfulness of wealth. And so this pastor who, who lives a modest life with his wife and five kids, he lived modestly but gave generously. He's always keen to give more and more of his wealth away. Yeah, one year he gave away $50,000. I mean, this is a pastor giving away 50000 living on the simple, standard minister's wage. Next year, he wanted to give away more. Do you know how much he gave? Over a million dollars. He wrote a book, started getting all these royalties from it, gave it all away. I mean, you think, keep, keep some back, keep 90% back. I mean, that's wise investment, isn't it? You've earned it. Gave it all away and continued to live on the simple minister's wage. He knew the deceitfulness of wealth. It's a challenge to us, isn't it? Wealth is deceitful. It will speak in our ears, in our hearts, and it will deceive us. But the sad reality is that even amongst Christians, we like being deceived by wealth. We like being deceived by wealth. You know, I want a a piece of God and I want a piece of this world. Each week I'll give two hours to God, but I'll spend the rest of my week pursuing this world. It is deceitful. We think we want both. But what will end up happening? Well, what happened in this parable? You see, our love for God, genuine response, any genuineness there will be choked out by the worries and the deceitfulness of wealth. And so is that my heart? Is that your heart tonight? A heart that is crowded, undevoted to the things of God. That's the third one. Now the fourth one. This is finally the fruitful, receptive heart. Verse 23. But the one who has received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands. He produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty or thirty times what is sown. And so finally we get one who responds appropriately. This guy hears the gospel message. Jesus, the son of God, would die for me. I'm such a terrible sinner. I'm such a wretched sinner. But the Son of God will take my place so that I can go scot-free, so that I can go to heaven. Well, this guy responds, of course I want that. And what does he do? He lets the, lets the seed take deep root in his heart, penetrate deeply so that it will grow and be strong. This man becomes fruitful. Now, becoming fruitful here is analogous to entering the kingdom, being part of the kingdom, being fruitful in the kingdom. So he's fruitful, he's belonging to the kingdom. This one Out of all of them, only this one understands the secret of the king. Only this one enters the kingdom. Only this one is fruitful. 
Now, of course I want that. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you want this, what this man had? You see, this man did not have the ignorant heart, the hard heart, but a soft, receptive heart. This man, not a shallow, phony heart, but a deep, genuine one. This man, not a crowded, deceived heart, but a heart that is devoted to God alone. Not an unfruitful heart, but a fruitful one. And so out of the four soils, only this one gets it. Only this one gets the secret. And so the question for us tonight, which of the soils do you fit in? What is your heart like? I mean, in the end, what's at stake here? What's at stake if you get this wrong? It's actually not my salvation. You know what's at stake? It's your salvation. Your eternal destiny, not mine. You want to get this right, don't you? But the terrible fear that so many of us have, the pastors and ministers and those in ministry, the terrible fear is that even within the churches, you'll have someone sitting there with a cold heart. You'll have someone sitting there with a shallow heart. You have someone sitting there and sitting there with a crowded heart. Don't we want all of us to have the fruitful heart? Isn't that what we want for us? And so the core of this parable is that you want the secret of the kingdom of God? Hear with your ears, believe with your heart. Let the seed penetrate deeply into your heart so that you will bear fruit. Let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that in your kindness to us, me human beings, that you will reveal the secret of the kingdom of God. And so give us ears to hear, give us hearts to believe, soften our hearts where it is hard, dig deep into our heart where it is shallow, and take away all that bothers us and worries us, so that our heart will remain fully devoted to you. And so we pray that our hearts and our lives will bear much fruit for your kingdom. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.